That is the question that we're seeking to answer. Throughout this series called Impact More Than a Sunday, we as a church family have been looking at what is it, God, that you want us to do as a church family next? And today we conclude the series, and, and, and at the end of this service today, I'm going to make a big ask of you. I'm going to ask each of you to participate in something that I think will radically shape the future of this church family. And it may be something that many of us have never participated in before, and as you know, stepping into the unknown can be extremely scary. It can be very uncomfortable. And for those of you that are still trying to figure out who Jesus is to you, I want to encourage you in this, that for those of us that follow Jesus, we know this, that when Jesus calls us to follow him as one of his disciples, it is always a call to following him into a place of discomfort, into a place of the unknown, into a place of sacrifice. And the way that we do this, for those of us that follow Jesus, is by trusting and hoping in and clinging to Jesus. For us, this is not religious tradition. This is not just something we do to make ourselves feel better. We truly do believe that Easter is a celebration of an actual historical reality, that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, that he came and dwelt among us, and he allowed his own creation to crucify him to kill him, so that we might be made one with God. And three days later, he rose from the grave, conquering over Satan, sin, and death. And he formed his church to be the physical embodiment of him on the earth until the day that he returns again. He has a mission for his church. We believe that wholeheartedly. And it takes many different expressions. It takes on many different forms. And so we've been praying through this question for us as a church family. Lord, what's next for us, for Desert Springs? We know that you're working through countless churches in our city and around the world. But for this local church family, Lord, what do you have for us next? What's the fresh new expression of this mission that you want us to pursue? And this series is the next step in that process. And I know that it can be uncomfortable and disconcerting. But Jesus calls us to stretch, doesn't he? Have you ever had one of those stretch moments where you follow Jesus into one of those spaces and it feels like a great big, uh, a little bit of that stretch where you feel thinner you're not quite sure if you're gonna make it to the other side. Those stretch moments where God says, come, follow me into the dark unknown, resting not in your ability to see the future, but resting in my ability, God's ability, to hold all things together. Have you ever had one of those stretch moments? As a church family, we're in the midst of one of those stretch moments. But in light of this, stepping into the unknown, we know that he is good. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look, in, uh, there's a, an ancient letter written to a church back in the day when the church was still very young and surrounded actually by enemies. And that church was called to live, just like you and I are called to live, to live out the gospel, being lights in community. And yet just like us, they found the unknown to be uncomfortable. They found this call of sacrificial love in community to be a bit scary. And so we're gonna look at the letter. It's in our scriptures as the book of 1 Peter. 
you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn there, but we'll have it up on the screen as well. And we're gonna ask three things. We're gonna ask three things. Who are we? What are we to do? And how do we do it? Who are we? What are we to do? And how do we do it? So we'll take a look at the first question. Who are we? In 1 Peter, he gives this answer, and I'll summarize it here for us. Who are we? We are a people bound together by God's grace. Let's take a look at the text. We'll have it here on the screen. This is 1 Peter 2, 9 to 10. But you, okay, TV timeout. So if you're a follower of Jesus, the you is who? You. Everybody look at people around them and be like, you. Come on, you're not looking at anyone except for me. Look at the people around you and be like, this is about you. It's about you. So who is the you about? You. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people. Who's the you? You. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you, who's the you? You. You have received mercy. Now, I I really want you to do this. I want you to look around. You are a people. And I love you as a church family. I don't like many of you, but I love you. And I know that you don't like half the people in this room too, and here's why. Because there is nothing that we have in common, by and large, except for Jesus. I mean, we are such a different community. We're we're all over the map, right? I mean, right now, the thing that's causing all sorts of tension in our city is politics. And whatever the person comes for the certain rally, I know there's people inside the rally from our church, there's people outside the rally for our church. I know that there's people who want things this way and there's people who want things that way. There's people who want these people in. There's people who want these people out. There's people who are those people. And you know what is so fascinating to me? This does my heart so good. It's when I see, because I, 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 I see two people sitting just chairs apart from each other who out there in the world, apart from Jesus, would be screaming and yelling at each other, condemning and damning one another, standing together side by side saying, my hope is in Jesus. He has made us a people. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, You know that? Hey, have you ever felt division in this community? Come on, talk to me now. Have you ever felt that in your families? Have you ever felt division in this city? Have you ever seen the division nationally in this this country? How about globally? I was talking to somebody the other day. They said that based on a historic survey, there's only been 50 recorded years in human history without war. Now that, of course, doesn't factor in the wars between families, right? Because there ain't been a single minute in human history without wars at that level. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's chosen people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Who are we? Who are we? 
We are a people bound by God's grace. Not by common affinity, not by common interests. What is the thing that binds us? Come on. What is it? Yeah, we wrote it up on the wall to remind ourselves because our natural inclination, moment by moment, is to hate and destroy each other. But we are a people. You are a people. Bound by what? By God's grace. By God's grace, we're together. And so what are we to do? Because Jesus didn't form his church just to exist for itself. It's not a social club. It's not something to make us all feel better about ourselves. We can pat ourselves on the back. Jesus has a mission for his church. And so what are we to do? Well, there's four things, and you'll see them in 1 Peter. We are to praise God. Dave Robinson, where are you at, baby? We're to praise God. There we go. (laughs) Would you try that one more time? Church family, take your cues from Dave. We're to praise God. Yeah, we're to abstain from evil. And then it was quiet. Real quiet. Praise God, abstain from evil, do good, and explain your hope. Let's take a look in the text. But you, who's the you? Are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may what? Proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God, in his infinite wisdom through Jesus Christ, formed a people. To what end? Well, one of the purposes is that they would proclaim the goodness and the grace of God. So what are we to do? Well, one of the things we're to do is to proclaim the praises of the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Let's continue. Dear friends, I urge you, As strangers and exiles. TV time out. I thought he just said we were a family, a people. Now what's this language? Did you guys catch the language? What is the language? Strangers and exiles. Now that doesn't have quite the sharpness that many of us might feel. And so I'm going to do you one better. And get your emails ready. I urge you. As kicked out immigrants. Remember the first thing about being a people? That we're bound together only by God's grace? Because y'all think I'm going political, don't you? I'm just trying to add the sharpness to it here. Because we look at strangers and exiles, we're like, meh. But there's a, there's a sense of something here. Of being unwanted by everybody. Having no country of your own. Exiles. What's an exile? It's someone who's kicked out of where? They're home. Homeless, wanderers, having no core, having no center, having nothing to tether you together. You with me? I thought he just said we were a people. Oh, but we are a people. Bound together not by some earthly nation or earthly identification but bound together by him. And so therefore, when we are operating in this domain, in this sphere, we are treated often as what? Strangers. And what else? Exiles. Abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves. What's the word? Even on Facebook? Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles. Real quick, the way that that, that's kind of a weird word for some of us. So 
the sense of it is uh, among the people who don't know God yet. You, you with me so far? I mean, we don't commonly use Gentiles. The people who are, who are not like you yet, who are outside of the people group now, so that when they slander you, hold on now, what did it just say? That what people that might be out there might do to people who are in here, what might they do? And they slander you as what? Oh, that's interesting. When they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works. Glorify God on the day he visits us. One of the things that this means is that as we're pursuing and living as Jesus' disciples, it may well be that we are slandered and accused and attacked for doing what? Good things. Now, if, if you do evil and somebody calls that out, is that slanderous? No, it's just calling out evil. But if you do good and someone calls it evil, that becomes slanderous, you see? The author here is saying, as exiles, you're in a very strange place. As kicked out people who nobody wants, you might be tempted to say, I'm gonna do things my own way, because it ain't easy. But here, the author says, conduct yourselves honorably, so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your, what's the word? Good deeds and will glorify God on the day he visits. Let's keep going. But in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And this is from 1 Peter 3.15, so we've skipped ahead just a little bit. In your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready when? Anytime to give a defense or to give a reason or to explain to anyone who asks you for a what? What did we just sing about a minute ago? For a reason for the hope that is in you. What does this presume might could happen? As someone is observing your life, doing good works as an exile and a stranger, someone who has no home, what does this assume might actually happen? Somebody gonna come up to you and do what? Ask for a reason. Why do you have hope? And so here's my question for you. As you reflect on your life, is it being lived in such a way so there that, that there may be some who look at your life and ask you for the hope that is within you? You might even think to yourself, Lord, am I living, proclaiming your truth, abstaining from evil, doing good? Am I living in such a way that I'm pointing to you? In such a way that others might even ask, though I'm a stranger, though I'm strange to them, that they might ask, what is the hope within you? So what are we to do as a church? We're to praise God, abstain from evil, do good, and explain our hope. So how do we do that, right? We said, who are we? We're a people. Number two, what are we to do? We're to do those four. Three, how? And, there's, and I'm, gonna, I'm gonna slow down and get us into some of the nitty gritty. So uh, as a church, we have this graphic, and we just call it Next Steps. 
We recognize based on, uh, there's this letter in the Bible called Ephesians. In the fourth chapter of Ephesians, it tells leaders of churches this. Your job is to equip everybody in the church to do the work of the ministry that God's called them to do. That's the job of any leader in a congregation. We want to help equip you to live as a disciple of Jesus. You see this in the lobby, on the back of the connection cards, in the back of the seat in front of you. You see it. You'll see it everywhere on our campus. And the reason is, is because that's why we exist, to help you live out the what of the who we are. You, you can uh, take the cards with you if you'd like, uh, but I'll go through them. We, we want to help people discover Jesus. We want to help people get baptized. You know, two weeks ago, we had, what was it, tw- 21 people baptized here uh, at Desert Springs a couple weeks ago. We want to help. If you're interested in baptism, use that connection card. We want to help people worship together. Serve compassionately, live generously, reach out, build relationships, and, and this is something we talked about a few weeks ago, and disciple others. Jesus calls everyone who follows him as one of his disciples to invest into and disciple somebody else, to mentor, to coach them, whatever word you want to say. And we want to help you do that. Everything that we have as a church family, all, all the all the, the mechanical components, so to speak, are built around this end. We, we want to help you do this. Amen. And it's not because we need to get a job done. Listen, I, Jesus has meant so much to me. And this church family has been used by God in radical ways to transform my life. I came to know the Lord in this church. My background was I grew up in a conservative home. I hated it. I, hated, I didn't hate the home. I hated the church. They were all hypocrites, by the way. I didn't know if you knew that. I was a junior higher, and I, I, I accurately judged everyone in the church that my parents took me to. So I stopped doing that. I fell in with a group of neo-Nazi skinheads who basically said white people are the master race. And that was my life. Graduated high school, didn't go to college. And through a really, like, looking back on it, crazy sequence of events, somebody from this church was dialing drummers in the classified ads of the Phoenix New Times, called me up and said, are you a drummer? Yep. Can you come play at our church? Sure. So I drove over. I played the drums. They had electric drums back then. I'm not doing that again. Ugh. By the way, it, uh, nothing against electric drums. It's just if you're a drummer, you know that they're not drums. Amen. Thank you, Tony. Tony, ladies and gentlemen, Tony, our drummer. Thank you, buddy. And, and literally, like, on this stage, had a conversation before or after one of the services. I would come every few months or whatever when they would call me. And one of the guys who's still a part of this church said, hey, do you want to start coming over? And we'll just have dinner once a week. Sure. And I'm not recommending this, but I got to tell you this is part of the story because it's radically transformed my life. He was like, yeah, we'll go get a beer afterwards. And I'm not recommending that. But I want to tell you that it was a foothold because I was like, no, this is a trick. <laughs> this is a trick. Christians don't do that. But it began to reshape my mind as to what it meant to even be a Christian. I thought being a Christian was you don't do certain things. And so he started having me over. He was discipling me. You saw it on the next slide. 
He was investing in me. It was crazy. He never told me he was doing that. He said, actually, uh, you know, after dinner, I think one of the things we'll do is we'll just talk about what makes you angry about Christianity. And I was like, sweet, I got anger for days, son. Like, I'm ready. I wrote the curriculum on this. And in that process, I came to know Jesus. I was baptized right there in that baptismal. I got married right here on this stage. I have mourned the loss of so many close friends in this room. This church has meant a great deal to me. And the people that God used in this congregation to disciple me and invest in me and to shape me has meant so much to me. I want that for you. And not only that, I want that for our city. 250,000 people in a five-mile radius of this campus do not know that Jesus loves them. Who will tell them? Who will bear witness? Who will proclaim the praises of the one who has called us out of darkness into his glorious light? Who will do that? Well, in 1977, Jesus called a group of people to plant a church in an area where they were still using horses. North Phoenix. I don't even know if we had electricity yet. (laughs) But God planted a church. And since that time, this city has grown up around us. And you know what's fascinating? 40 some odd years later, you can begin to see what Jesus had in mind. We, where we currently are on Paradise Lane and Tatum, stand in the center of four worlds. To our east is Carolyn Commons, one of the most affluent districts in America. Three miles. And three miles to the west is Palomino, a community of beautiful culture and robust joy, and yet with specific needs. Just as Kierland has its own brokenness, so too Palomino has unique brokenness. And to our south, the PV district, the PV mall at its center, and to the north, Desert Ridge, and a very rapidly growing new space. I wonder what Jesus was thinking in 1977 when he planted those 40 people as a church. I know what he was thinking. This will be a people who will proclaim my goodness, my grace, and my glory to the millions that I'm moving into North Phoenix. And so as a church family, we started praying, Lord, what do you want from us next? In 2015, in 20, 2015 uh, Pastor, Rick and I, uh, Pastor Rick served here for 30 years. And we transitioned. I took the role of lead pastor. In 2016, we began a process of eliminating our mortgage debt, committing never to go into mortgage debt again. We paid that off early because we believed as a church family, God was preparing us for something next. 2017, 2018, we focused as a church family on discipleship. That next graphic that you saw up there a moment ago, that came out of that prayerful movement where we recognized that before God was gonna do a work through us, he wanted to do a work on us. And we took seriously this call to discipleship, built our systems all around it. And then late last year, one of the things that we did as a church family is we committed to praying. Praying expectantly and hopefully that God would reveal what he wanted us to do next to us. And we heard from hundreds of you And we've now, this series is the next step in that process. And so I'm gonna share with you some of the things that came back to us from you 
And as our leaders gathered, some of the ways that we think God is moving us next. We believe, we'll put it up here on the screen, we believe that God is calling us to invest our time, energy, and finances to expand our resources and relationships, to equip more people to flourish as a disciple of Jesus. That's what our hope is. That's what our goal is. And there's three specific areas that we have, as we were praying, November, December, January, and hearing from you, and kind of praying through each of those prayer cards and the emails that came through, the one-on-one conversations, we saw three things becoming clear, that God is calling us, we believe, to compassionately serve North Phoenix. We're gonna continue to serve around the world, but we felt like God was calling us to amp up what we're doing here in North Phoenix, especially given, number one, the age of our church family, over 40 years old, and number two, given the, just the wonderful complexity and diversity of North Phoenix. Two, reaching out through new churches. So we're uh, over 40-year-old church, which means we do have some assets, resources, and surprisingly, wisdom. And we believe that God is calling us to share that with many new churches with a focus on North Phoenix. And here, let me just say this real quick. Bethany Bible Church was our founding church. And they resourced us with people and finances and wisdom and prayer. And one of the things that they said to us was, we're gonna do this with the expectation that you will do this in the future. And so this has been 40 years coming. Number three, improving our campus to better grow in Christ and build authentic relationships. Let's lean into these now. Number one, compassionate service in North Phoenix. I don't have details for you. I'm giving this to you because of what I'm gonna ask us to do here in a moment. Number one, we want to increase our relationship with Paradise Valley Unified School District. We love our school district, but there are a lot of specific needs we can help meet, and so we want to lean into that. Number two, our relationship with Kitchen on the Street continues to grow with a focus on hungry kids in our neighborhoods. And I just, I, I've asked this a few times before. I'm going to ask it again. Are you... You don't need to answer out loud. I just want you to, I want to let this question sit with you. Are you comfortable with the fact that when you go to bed well-fed tonight, that there are kids in our neighborhoods going to bed hungry? Are we going to be comfortable with that as a church family? And number three, a new relationship with Habitat for Humanity. As we think about education and nourishment, one of the things that we as a church family don't currently have a partner with is how to help Uh, folks with homes, home repair, providing a safe place for those families. All of this is centered around the family, and as a church family, we want to help minister. Habitat's a great partner. They've actually reached out to us, and we've been in conversations over the last few months about a five- to ten-year play in and around uh, the Palomino District specifically, but even possibly beyond that. I want to tell you that what this will take is each of us answering God's call in our lives to give time, energy, and resources. And just, just, I just want to throw this out there. One of the things that we know is that for a Habitat project to get off the ground, we need to get $200,000 in the bank for supplies. I don't know how that's going to happen. I don't know how we're going to do it, but I'm asking you, church family, to consider, is this what God's calling us to? The second component is this, reaching out through new churches. We have, uh, over the last three years, um, quadrupled our relationship with uh, churches here in North Phoenix. We do not have enough churches in North Phoenix. I know we may feel like we drive past many of them, but there's 250,000 people in a five-mile radius of this campus, and we are not the best hope for many of them. 
And I know that Jesus is raising up new leaders and for new churches in our city and around Phoenix. And so we've partnered with North Phoenix churches. Like literally, I meet once a month, some of our leaders meet with uh, other leadership from an Assemblies of God church, a Presbyterian church, uh, a community church, an EV Free church, a Lutheran church, help me out here, oh, um, Kojic church, Church of God church. You know why? Because it's all just one church anyways. Thank you, buddy. Listen, these two sides are doing great. Middle. And so we're part, we don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but I know this. We are one of the more uh, um, established and one of the most well-resourced churches in this area. And to those who have been given much. Number three. We'll take a look at the next slide here. Improving our campus to better grow in Christ and build authentic relationships. Uh, I'm going to blitz through these real quick, and I'm going to tell you why. And I'm not going to give you too much detail, and I'm going to tell you why. Because one of the, some of this, like buildings, can easily become the vision. And I want everyone to look at me in the eyes right now. Buildings are not our mission. A bigger campus is not our vision. This campus can crumble to the ground, and we can meet in homes and tents and dungeons and back alleyways and still be radically faithful to the call of the gospel. We do not need any buildings to be faithful to Jesus. But it does help. <laughs> Number one, our two-story building where we have our children's ministry, we don't have an elevator. Which means that anyone who shows up, some of you know this firsthand, and it's not able to ascend the stairs. And so, like, I don't know what else to say. We need to put an elevator on that building. It's the right thing to do. And one of the things we know is, as we talk to our contractors and our architects, they're like, yeah, it's about $200,000 to put an elevator on your building. It could be $2 billion. It's still the right thing to do. And so we're leaning into that. The second is to retrofit our current space. We are committed to making sure that we squeeze every ounce of value out of every square foot that we have on this campus that's uh, currently under roof. We would much rather retrofit than do any sort of new build because it's cheaper, it's easier, God's already blessed us with it, and we got a responsibility to it. And so we're committed to doing that. And then finally, multi-purpose addition to the worship center. When we went to our contractors and architects, we said, what's the, the most uh, we can do to meet these specific needs that we have uh, in the most economic way? And one of the things that they said was, you can uh, literally, on the other side of this wall, there's a big dirt space. It's like a big rectangle. And they said, it would be relatively easy for us to plop, plop, that, you know, I'm, I'm in construction, can you tell? I'm very wise in these things to uh, manifest a building there, and your per square foot's gonna be the most cost-effective, and you'll have the longest-term usage out of it, meaning every few years, if you wanted to, you could retrofit the inside for your specific needs. But with prices the way that they are, we're looking at 1.1 to $1.3 million for that. But I'll tell you this much, we're out of space on Sunday morning other than in this room. We built this building in 1997, and we did not build the corollary space for kids, students, and adult classes. We have to kick people out of rooms in order to have like our starting point gatherings on Sunday mornings. And we would love to be able to do more. Uh, and that's, uh, that's what we are praying through right now. So here's my next question. Will it be hard? 
you want to take a stab at the answer? <laughs> take, take a look at, let's go back to the text. This is First Peter. We'll continue on at First Peter. Yet do this with gentleness and respect, cleaving a clear conscience. So when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. Next slide. For it is better to suffer for doing good. It should be God's will than it is for doing evil. We want to do good, and we know it's going to be hard. And so here's the, the real question. How do we find the power to do it? I'll just remind you of this. I want everyone to take a big, deep breath. Because these stretch moments call us into the unknown. But you are a people. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God's own possession, who has called you together to proclaim his goodness and grace to this community and to those around the world. How do we find the power to do it? It tells us in 1 Peter, next slide. For Christ also suffered for sins once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. Friends, more than anything that you've heard today, know this. Jesus loves you so much. He himself has suffered for your sins once and for all so that you may not have to. He, the righteous, has given himself for you and for me, the unrighteous, so that you and I might be brought to God, made into a people for his own possession, called out of darkness into his glorious light, that we might proclaim his goodness and grace. That's who you are, and it's what we're called to be. And I know this to be 100% true. Every time Jesus calls us into these stretch moments, he is always faithful to provide what is needed. The strength, the energy, the wisdom, the resources. But the thing that makes it a stretch is that we don't see it until we look back on it and find that he was there all along. I'm not trying to sell you on anything. I need you to hear me on this. I don't have some slick campaign. I don't have cool graphics for you. Our graphics team will probably be producing some. The last thing I want is for anyone in this room to do anything because they feel sold or pressured or guilted or expected. That's the last thing I want. I'm not trying to sell you on something. We prayed and expected God to speak to us. We heard from you. And as your leaders, we are now saying back to us as a congregation, here's what we think God is possibly, probably calling us to do. And here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. And this is the big ask. I'm gonna ask each one of you today to commit to 77 days of prayer praying daily that God would reveal to you what he's calling you as one of his disciples to do collectively with your church family. We were built in 1977. Before we sign up to volunteer, before we put a pen to paper to draft an idea, before we get out the checkbooks, before any of that, my heart is that we would be a people who are completely and totally entrusting ourselves to Jesus. Because this is his mission. 
And this is his vision. And the last thing we want to do is pursue a man-made direction. So I'm going to ask you to do this. In the back of the seat in front of you is a card that looks like this. If you guys would pull that out. It says 77 days of prayer at the top. I'm going to ask you to consider joining your church family in 77 days of prayer. The way that we'll do this is we'll send out prayers at the beginning of each week, prompts to pray. We're going to do that once a week. We're not going to do it every day. I'm going to I'm going to expect that if you commit that you would make the appropriate uh, scheduling changes and reminders to remind yourself to pray. But we'll send one out a week, whether it's through email or text. And so if you'd like them texted, you can add your phone number. Um, And we're going to start that tomorrow. So you can take these cards, fill them out, and place them in the boxes in the back of the room as we dismiss here in just a moment. And by those boxes are magnets and stickers that say 77. I'm going to ask that you would take one of those, whether it's a sticker or a magnet, and put it somewhere to remind you of what God is calling us to and as we commit ourselves to being a people of prayer. I hope that you'll join me for that. Also, today at 1230, we've mentioned this the last few weeks, today at 1230, I know if you've got kids, you can go pick them up, bring them back, that's fine. But we're going to meet in this room on this Palm Sunday And we're going to pray. We're going to pray specifically today for churches in the area and then also for those who are going to join us on Easter Sunday, that everyone who's ministered to through Desert Springs and through the collected churches in North Phoenix might see Jesus alive in these communities. So I'm going to ask you, 12.30 here, I know it's lunchtime, but you know, tough. I don't know what else to say. (laughs) We'll have lunch after. 12.30 in this room. If you've got kiddos, bring them in. If they're noisy, it doesn't matter. Would you commit to praying for 77 days with your church family for what God has for us next? Would you join me as we pray now? Lord, we give you thanks for the many ways you provide for us and bless us. Jesus, you love us, and we want to live in light of that love. And as we entrust ourselves completely to you, Lord, we pray that you would give us wisdom and insight as to how it is you're calling each of us to lead and to love. And as a church family, how you're calling us to move in the future so we might see more people blessed, more people discipled and pointed to you. We know that you make us into a people. Lord, we want everyone in this city to be called your own. And we ask that you would use us to be lights in this community and in our individual lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.